Welcome to Life Quest Liberty, live in-depth conversations with today's top writers, editors, and spiritual leaders concerning religious freedom around the world. On today's broadcast, we'll examine local and international factors that may be impacting your right to worship and obey God as your conscience dictates. I'm your Life Quest Liberty host, Charles Mills. Losing a father to death is never an easy journey, but many of us have been there and done that, including Lincoln Steed, editor of Liberty Magazine. I've asked Lincoln to talk about his dad and the spiritual legacy he left behind. Lincoln, tell us about your father's witness to the world. Well, the more time goes by since his death nine years ago, I'm spending more and more time thinking back about my father and particularly talking about religious liberty at times, elements or aspects of the last few days of his life just sort of rise up and I can see and hear and remember what he said that was important to me. I'll make a link with what we do with public affairs and religious liberty. The day he died, he'd been in hospital for uh, at least two weeks, but I think it was pushing three weeks, taken in mid-sentence almost from reaching his last sermon at the church that he founded. He checked himself into hospital and the exploratory surgery found that there was nothing they could do. He had grossly advanced cancer that had blocked his whole system. So certainly he was going to die. And the last day of his life, I asked the doctors what they could do because he could go on and on in this limbo. And they said, well, we could give him surgery. And I thought, that's good. Then we'll cut it short. So uh, my mother signed things away. And, and then they came to my father and said that they were going to give him the surgery. And he said, uh, you know, how do I know this is true? He said, nobody ever told me any of this. It was true. We were getting updates, but not him. Mm-hmm. And so the, the doctor said, uh, you don't understand. Unless you have the surgery, you'll be on the ventilator by tonight. So immediately they wheeled him away, and the orderly came with the gurney. And Dad turned to him, and he said, he said, do you know that I'm an ambassador? And I can remember the, the, uh, the look on the guy's face. He didn't know who he was dealing with. <laughs> And he says, I'm an ambassador for Christ. Amen. And then they wheeled him away. And if I was building a hospital, I would have a quiet back alley where they could wheel people into surgery. But, you know, they took him in the elevator through the foyer. And it was incredible on the way to his final surgery. And when he arrived, he sat up and the anesthetist came along and, and with his needle in hand. And he says, you ready to do it? And Dad says, are you a Christian? And uh, he says, well, for what it's worth, I teach theology at a college or whatever. I, I don't know what he meant by that. He clearly wasn't one of our faith at an Adventist hospital. He was a, of some other Christian identity. And Dad says, well, let's pray together. So they had a prayer, and then he was out, and that was it. That was a, a very interesting conclusion to my father's life, and uh, as I look back on it, a very powerful witness for religion. Because uh, he had the ability... And the opportunity in his job, talking about alcohol and drugs and other habits that destroy people generally and, of course, dull their spiritual sensibility. And he traveled the world for many years, contacting heads of state and government leaders in many different countries. And always, when I could observe him, and sometimes he gave us reports, he always told them why he was doing it as a Christian he always told them the rationale for heaven and hell. <laughs> it was so exciting to serve God because your life was better for it now and that there were wonderful things coming. And, uh, you know, I've seen photographs of him praying with communist leaders in Bulgaria in their homes. 
Mm. I mean, the leaders of the country, not just a few officials. Uh, I know with Mrs. Gandhi in India, I've, I've seen photographs of him praying with her in her office. He met with us a number of times. He prayed with Salvador Allende a few days before he was killed in a CIA back too, with tanks and planes and all the rest. He prayed with Samuel Doe, the head of Liberia, a few days before. I remember the news photo. They took him out on the beach, tied him to a post and shot him. You know, he had a great privilege to spread his spiritual faith and Christian confidence to people in high places. If you were to ask him why you do this, what would his answer be? Share with us what he told these people when he'd say, this is why I'm doing this. Well, I know why he did it. Uh, sometimes it used to bother me, not bother me, frustrate me, because given half a chance, I can be very philosophical, and I always like to take the opposite, <laughs> not the opposite, but a, sort of a, if there's a point, you know, I think of weaknesses or a contrary view, you know, I'm bouncing one thing against another. I never noticed that, Lincoln. <laughs> My father would never see the other view. He was only the view of heaven and of, and of the church and of faith. His whole goal, and really just a compulsion, was to share the great things that he had. He didn't even question that people needed to have what he knew. They needed to know God. They needed regeneration. I wouldn't put him in the same league with Christ at all, nor myself or anyone else. You know, we're all human beings. But a statement I've read about Jesus that says he went about doing good. Yes. My father saw it. It was, it was his privilege to share this with other people. Mm. Reminded me a little bit of, of a book I read years ago by uh, a guy that used to drag uh, a cross around the world mm. as part of his witness which we we do only figuratively. Right. <laughs> he told in his book how he would share Bible texts with the hippies. And he would roll up the little Bible texts and put them in uh, these little plastic pill cases. And then he would sidle up to them and he would say, hey, you want some reds? <laughs> 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 and he'd be a pusher. Yeah. <laughs> and they would take the text. Now, I think my father saw himself the same way. <laughs> He wanted them to mainline the good mm, stuff. <laughs> oh, wow. What a wonderful, wonderful witness. But uh, I, I probably have said this before, but I need to tell what happened in relation to Liberty Magazine yes. in those last few days. When I went down Great Rush from uh, Maryland, where I'm working, to the hospital in Florida where my father had been taken suddenly. And I arrived there just in time as he was wheeled off to the first surgery. Mm -hmm. And he was reminiscing a little about some of the things that we'd done or he'd done and some I'd done with him. And in particular, he was talking about running a conference, one of many around the world, but one that was in Nice, France. And it was sponsored by the Prime Minister of France's office. And there were 500 people at that conference, as was typical. And there was about three heads of state from smaller countries. There was the Minister of Health from the Soviet Union and the UN representative was there. It was quite a gathering. And one of the speakers was Jacques Cousteau. Hmm. The dad had lined up to speak there, but we had a big scandal. And dad was laughing about it as he was being taken away. He says, remember Jacques Cousteau? He says, how he wouldn't talk to the group because nobody was at the airport to meet him when he flew in from Florida. And so he was in a fit and he was sulking at a restaurant across the street. So dad had to go and cajole this guy to come back and talk. So we laughed about it, and how in the end, he said that a smile sort of went across Cousteau's face, and, and he says, what language do these people speak? And Dad says, well, most of them speak English, even though they're from all over the world. So I was on the platform when Cousteau came in with Dad, and 
And he got up and in flawless English spoke uh, for about half an hour. And one of the Frenchmen next to me leaned over to another Frenchman and scandalized, said, what a, what a scandal, he said, that here, a Frenchman speaking English in, in France. <laughs> so Dad was laughing about that. So uh, I flew back to my job. I had to uh, a day or two later, and, and I incorporated this in my next Liberty editorial. And I forget the larger point I was making, but it made a religious liberty point. Within the week, my father was in intensive care and failing, or at least expected to fail, and so I raced back to be with him again, and this time I had my editorial with me. So the last day of his life, I sat down in the hospital with him, and he was talking. That's the amazing thing. I don't understand it to this day, because he had every tube known to man and every orifice that he had and a few that they'd made pretty much on life support. And But yet he spoke, I mean, quite lucidly and any time he wanted even though he had a big tube down his throat. And so I read the editorial to him, the whole thing, which I shouldn't have done, because one comment he'd made a day or two earlier when one of the chaplains had come by, and they were very nice. But after they left, he says, such long prayers. (laughs) (laughs) A dying man doesn't need to hear long. (laughs) He didn't say that, but that's my comment. Right, right. So he had to listen to a long editorial, not real long, but... Longer than a prayer, I'm sure. And I thought that he would be uh, very appreciative just because he liked what I did. You know, I'm his son. And like every one of his three children, I think I'm his favorite one. (laughs) (laughs) I have that debate with my son and daughter. They both come to me separately. You know, I'm your favorite, right? Right, right. (laughs) (laughs) But after I finished it, he said, oh, it's okay. And he says, but there's something missing. And, you know, at that moment, when uh, one of the last few moments I have had with him, I, I, I wanted some real affirmation, and that yes. sort of surprised me. So I, I gave some sort of excuse to explain why I put there what I had. And he says, no, there's something missing. He says, you must present Christ. Mm. And uh, mm. I've tried to do that with religious liberty, particularly the sermons that I preach in churches, mostly around churches, but I've been to others. I've even preached to a Muslim group from all over Eastern U.S., a couple of thousand of them. I don't think you can talk about religious liberty without religion and as a Christian without Christ. Yes. So, you know, I took that to heart. And where it really resonated with me, I was obviously as he died and things were disturbing, I thought about other things, but, you know, that stuck with me. And then after my father died, we came back to the home. I remember the day he died and I'm sure many others have been through this experience, but, you know, they let us go from the hospital with a little plastic bag with just the few things he'd had in his pocket and the clothes that he was wearing. That was it. You'd leave him behind there. And uh, we, we arrived in the retirement home my parents had, you know, we were talking, my brother and my mother and I. And I had a funny feeling at different times that my father was just around the corner in his office. You could hear him come at any moment. So later in the day, I went into his office looking at the books, that many of them familiar to me. And and on the wall, I saw a little plaque that I did remember from every office he had when he was working, and he kept it in retirement. A little plaster of Paris plaque, and it had a simple little saying on it. It said, one life to live will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And I think that pretty much epitomizes it. And uh, and I can see that, I don't know if he got it from there, but I can see that that was a a guiding principle for my father. 
and I've tried to take that for religious liberty. Without Christ, religious liberty is just a civil construct. It gains its power, as the Bible says, the love of Christ constraineth me. Has to be part of it. My, I just love that story. That is marvelous. We must present Christ, and what a what a legacy and what a motto to live by. And Lincoln, I can say in all honesty that that is what you do, not only on these programs, but also in the magazine that you edit and the sermons you have preached that I've heard you preach. It is Christ-centered, and that is the kind of life we need to be living, all of us, every one of us, and all of our witness needs to be Christ-centered. Thank you so much for sharing that story with us today, Lincoln. We appreciate it. My pleasure. And listener, our website, libertymagazine.org, to hear this program again and read articles from Liberty Magazine. Also subscribe. It's all at libertymagazine.org. Until next time, this is Charles Mills along with Lincoln Steed, editor of Liberty Magazine, inviting you to present Christ and the freedom of God's love. Goodbye, everyone. If you'd like more information about LifeQuest Liberty, call Three Angels Broadcasting Network at 618-627-4651 or email us through our website at 3abn.org. Join us again next week at this same time as we examine more of the threats and challenges facing your religious freedom. May God keep the flames of liberty burning in your heart today.